Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What's up, you guys? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to episode 73 of the Foolishness Podcast. Hope you were blessed by the Elisa Childers episode. I've got so much feedback from so many episodes lately. It's great to know that I'm not laboring vain nor the guests. And as we jump in today, I'm picking up at my home church of branches. We're in the middle of one of the series that we're going through. It's an important, relevant topic, especially in this time with COVID and people freaking out. I've been trying to encourage you each week. We just continue on. We occupy until he comes. We'll get into it in just a moment, but I just want to say thank you for sharing this, for reviewing it, for even going to the YouTube channel and supporting it. And I'm blessed by all of you guys. Hit me up with any prayer requests. Hope you're doing good. God bless you all. Here we go. And I love you guys. Never met you, but man, for God so loved the world and he called us to love each other. Love you. God bless. What's up, you guys? How are we doing? This is Brian Sumner, not Andrew Shea or Austin or whoever else may be up here. Hope you guys are blessed. And how amazing is that, that we get to get together in about two weeks and hang out and celebrate and just just goof off in the Lord. You know, as we did that whole church video this past week, seeing these years of our church gathering together, it was crazy to think, what is it, five, six, or seven or so years we've been gathering together as a community. That's amazing, the work the Lord has done. So make sure you got that on your calendar, September 11th. want to see you guys there. But for now, today, we're going to jump into this. If you have your Bibles, go over to Galatians 4. I'm going to be preaching, as you can see. And so... As we do this, we're going to jump right in. There's a lot to cover, but it's powerful, it's amazing, it's encouraging. And what we want to be reminded of going into Galatians 4 are some of the things that both Austin and Andrew had shared on the past few weeks. How that we are adopted into God, into Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. How you and I are listening, if you're a Christian, you're a believer who's turned to Christ, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. And what that does for us is it answers some of the questions of who we are and where we belong. To look back for just a few weeks ago, Galatians 4.4, and this is important to launch us into today's message, it says this. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says, Galatians 4.4, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that's important, verse 5, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. At the right time, God was sending someone who, Jesus, to those born under the law so that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, could die in our place and redeem us so that we might be adopted. This is important when considering today's message because when we talk about the gospel, what is the gospel? If I said, guys, write in the chat, what is the gospel? You could say it's the power of Christ, it's redemption, it's salvation, it's all these things and all those things are true. But for you and I to be personal, what the gospel is, is from Genesis to Revelation, the story of how God was working behind the scenes and into history for you and I to be adopted This is important because when someone's adopted, likewise, what does it mean? It means someone picks you, someone chooses you, someone sets you apart. They sign away some documents and you are now theirs. They're going to raise you. You take on their surname. You live with them. You are loved. This is literally what Christianity is. We have been adopted into God's house. The old passes away and now we become part of the new family. Someone say hallelujah. But here's the idea is imagine as a parent adopting one of those children, a beautiful boy or girl, and as you bring that child home, you begin to realize 
that they don't really feel like they're part of the family. They keep telling themselves other things. Their friends keep telling them other things. This really isn't your room. This really isn't your surname. They don't really love you or care for you. Only when you're good are you really part of the family. And in fact, when you're bad, you're a lesser part of the family. This is the sum of things that we're going to see that is actually the way the church in Galatia were living They were being deceived by these Judaizers who came in and were basically telling the believers there, even though you're adopted in, you better do all the right things, return to the law, return to the sacrificial system, return to circumcision, keep all these things, or how is God going to be content with you? How are you going to be able to abide in him? Things like circumcision, things like festivals and rituals, and what this does is it tells them, that Christ's death isn't enough. What it tells someone who's adopted that you're actually not enough, that our love for you is not perfect and we did not choose you. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So if you're there with me, Galatians 4 and 8, I know it's early, but put away your cereal bowls. I'm sure the kids are all going to sit calm and relax. It's going to be a very peaceful church service. Amen. It's going to be wild. But let's jump into God's word all the same. Galatians 4 and 8, Paul's writing to challenge them. And he says, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them over and over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons and years. And so I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. And as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I was Christ Jesus himself. Verse 15, he says, Where then is the blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy for telling you the truth? He says, those people are zealous to will you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I am with you, verse 19 Dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. There's a lot that Paul says, but when we're talking about being adopted in, what Paul is clearly saying is two things. He's amazed that they've been adopted in, but they're turning back to the law, back to the rituals, back to systems. And he's also amazed, probably hurt and offended, that they would trust these Judaizers over him. He's the spiritual parent. He's who shared the gospel with them. He's who rejoiced and went to battle for them in the spirit in prayer, sharing the gospel of Christ so they could come to faith. And you could be here today and say, well, Brian, we get this point. That those Judaizers are calling the Christians to go back to the Mosaic law. No one is tempting us with that today. Though I've heard it from time to time, no one is pushing that up on branches. But here's the reality. While our focus might not be the law, we might never have worshipped into the premises and the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, keeping the law. For you and I, we do have a past. For you and I, there are all things prior to our coming to faith. There are things that are BC, before Christ, in the way that we lived. The same way they're going back to an old system. You and I, in fact, have an old system of which we were born into. We were born into this world, and if I said to you, what were you focused on? You don't need to answer me to say, I was focused on this world. I was focused on its ways. I was focused on all these things. Knowing many of you and you knowing me, if I said right now, write some of the things you were focused on before you came to Christ, you would willfully testify things like lust, things like greed, drinking drugs, self-indulgence, money, chasing women, chasing men, partying, all these things that we lived into and worshipped, we gave our time and our sacrifices to, that is who mankind is. And see, it's not about if we worship, we all worship something, it's what we worship. And see, for Israel, for the Jews, 
They might have struggled with all those things as well, but they were born into a system that was focused on worshiping the one true God. Only their system was the law. Once Moses came, it was a focus on the Mosaic law. And what that means is they'd had a tabernacle that they followed in the wilderness. They had a temple. They had systems. They had things in place. They had sacrifices over and over and over. And so what was their life about? Year long, it was these seasons, these Jew- Jewish feasts. Year long, it was washing for this, cleansing for that. Year long, it was focused on God and finally giving these sacrifices to atone for your sin. And now we have to say, did the Lord, did those sacrifices, did they bring us closer to God? What they did was allowed for our sins to be forgiven. What they also did was reveal to us how fallen we were. Because the second we offered that sacrifice, if that was today and I went behind the veil with that rope on my foot and I went behind there before the presence of God and there was a pleading for you and a pleading as the high priest as that sacrifice was given, the second we are done and we rejoice, we have to go back to the system. And likewise, this is what the Judaizers are saying. Christ has come, he's resurrected, you're forgiven, you're adopted in, but you need to go back to the system and that is what Paul is writing to today. It's like me saying branches right there on your couch with your bowl of seal and your kids running crazy. You're forgiven only because of Christ for no other reason. You haven't got to go and religiously do this or religiously do that. And so Paul, as we unpack this, is going to show us a few things. In verse 8, he clearly says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things who by nature were not God's. Before you knew God, you were enslaved to this world. You were condemned already. The Bible teaches that. We were caught up in the things of the world. And see, in the Roman record world of their day, they were submitted to idols and false gods. They would give money here, sacrifice there, do this ritual, do that ritual, all in the hopes of gaining land or prosperity or fertility. They were doing this for the right reasons because they didn't understand. And you might say to me today, well, Brian, they were slaves to those systems, but we're not slaves today. We don't worship wood or metal or steel or concrete or whatever it be. Some of you may. We don't bow down to images and light candles. Well, maybe you did in the 60s or 70s for those who were older. Maybe you are still doing it today. Repent of that stuff. Amen. I'm not joking, but seriously, the world is getting funky. But you and I don't worship in the same way. We don't go to Asherah poles and worship Baal or Molech and all the rest. No, the gods of our day that we can be entrapped to, that we are part of BC, are the gods of self, of money, the gods of possession, power, position, even passion. Some of these things are good things, but they become so worshipped in society. And why is this relevant today? Because though we're not focused on the law, which was BC for them, we can still have the world trying to pursue us and pull us back to these old ways. Or you can even legalistically and religiously be trying to do certain things as though your father who has adopted you in Christ is going to be more happier with you or more disappointed based on your performance. Guys, that is not the gospel. You are going to have bad days where you raise your voice, you say the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing, you kick yourself, you say, what am I doing? Wretched man that I am, Paul said. But it doesn't change at all that you have been adopted into the family, that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In this season, you need to realize that. And the point I'm making is that they had other gods. We lived in a world where we had other gods, and it isn't all something that's crazy. But these gods, you see what they do? These idols, these things we focus on, They take of our time. We sacrifice to them. Even today we do it. We can focus so much on them. Even things like fear can become a God. It drives us. Even things like being anxious. Even things like having to control every situation. So I feel good in this world that is actually not my home. Because my Savior's kingdom is not of this world. Someone type amen. Amen. Here's why I'm saying this. We can even be living in this world saying, look at this pandemic or epidemic, whatever they say it is. And the fear and the anxiety is getting the best of me. Or we can say, no, I'm a child of God. The God that I serve is the God who's the only God that's in control, who's the only God that leads me, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's this easy. We can use these practical verses like trust in the law law with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's a very easy verse right now. Why? What else are you trusting in? You don't know the headline tomorrow. You don't know what's going to take place in the election. We don't know what's going on. This is a great time for Christians to go, I need to trust in the Lord. 
The Bible says seek first his kingdom. And I'm guessing by now many of you, myself included, we've had our kingdom shook. Where we work, what we do, what we're allowed to do. That kingdom has been shook. So you could see a pandemic as a terrible thing. If we can worship normality and comfort in the way we want it. Or we can say, Lord, nothing has changed with you. I'm to lay aside the weight. I'm to lay the anxiety. I'm not to fear whether we get to meet in a few weeks or a few months, whatever happens around the world, if persecution came, God, nothing has changed with you. And I'm saying that to say any kind of a God, any kind of a system, it takes away the work of Christ and who we stand in and what he's done. And the fact that Austin and Andrew talked about adoption and inheritance, that we should be thriving in this. What a season to be alive. But see, the Judaizers, they were saying, it's about the rituals and the ceremonies. And Paul's saying, no, it's not. It's about the morality. It's about the spiritual principles. We should be focused on things like loving our neighbor or bearing the fruit of the Spirit. James called this the law of liberty. But what they're saying is, no, you need to go back. And Paul goes on. He says this in verse 8. He says, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God. You can read that and miss it. He says, now branches that you know God, oh, wait a minute. Maybe you're known by God. Maybe you knew him at a time, church in Galatia, you confessed and you believed and you were excited when the apostle Paul came to you. But did you really go deeper with him? Did you really get to know him? Did you really trust in his word? Because apparently not. I'm going to promise you that today amidst the struggles and the chaos of this season, some of you are hearing God more than ever because you're reading parts of the Bible you never did before. You're listening to sermons like this and saying, man, that's true. What am I trusting in? The fear and the ways of the world? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Am I trusting in Jesus? Even seeing Mary here today who's singing in worship 37 weeks along, I guarantee the Lord has spoken to them as a family more and more verses about that season. Why? Because they're walking with Jesus. Even as I'm over here listening to worship, nervous, saying, Lord, am I going to go preach for you again? It's a rhythm I walk with with Jesus and what Paul is saying here. To the church in Galatia is God knows you, but do you know him? Do you know God? And see, I'm saying that because we can only love God because he first loved us. We can only know God because he first knew us. We can only even choose God because he first chose us. And I'm saying that to encourage you because God knows where we are. He knows what we worship. He knew where the church in Galatia was and they were being told to go back to the law. So you know what? The apostle Paul was sent by God to write this letter to them and likewise to us to say, guys, where is our comfort? Where is our satisfaction? Where is our peace? Is it only in Christ or is it something additional? And that's something you can apply today. He goes on deeper. Bring it, Paul. He says this. How is it, in verse 9, that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces. How are you going back to rituals and ceremonies? How are you going back to holy days, dietary rules, and this Mosaic law? You see, when the law was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments and the 613, and it grew and it grew and it grew, and man built fences around it and protected it, as these things were taking place, they were also circumcised. And circumcision wasn't just about flesh. It was a point to a man when he got up, when he went to the restroom, when he stood before God, when he looked at himself getting showered, he knew that he was different, he was set apart. He ate different, he lived different, he sacrificed different. And the church in Galatians being told, you have to go live this way. And Paul's saying, no. We can see from the early apostles that Paul is right in saying this. Throughout the book of Acts, the early church, we see as the apostle Paul came with Timothy and with Titus, Timothy was circumcised. You know what? Titus wasn't. And he put it before the church. Titus was a Cretan, I believe. And he said to them, does this man need to be circumcised? And they said, no, why? Because it's no longer about laws and rituals and ceremonies. It's no longer BC. It's about now being in Christ. We see this as amazing as well because it continues on. Even in Acts 10, as Pastor Andrew touched on a few weeks ago, Peter has that vision in Cornelius' house and he sees the unclean food. And as he calls it unclean, Jesus reminds him, don't call it unclean. The point is that if you're in the point is that if you're in Christ, there's nothing that's unclean about it. If you're in Christ, you are adopted in. You haven't got to jump through hoops. You haven't got to be good enough because you ain't good enough to begin with. And what he's saying to the church in Galatia is who is beguiling you? Who is putting this in your mind? Are you really listening to these Judaizers? And this should challenge us to say, to say, 
Well, Brian Church, how is a person saved? How are we adopted in? I think back to when I lived in Liverpool many years ago and how busy the streets were and we'd be skateboarding up and down the city. I mean, years of my life. And I would get into conversations with people, even coming to faith, going back, having these conversations. And I picture someone saying, well, how are we born into God's kingdom? How are we adopted? And I would tell that gentleman or that lady, John 14, 6. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Wait a minute, Jesus is the only way? Well, here's what Jesus said about himself. He said, I'm the bread of life. We've got to eat of him. He's the light of the world. He shines the light in the darkness. The darkness is revealed. We repent and come to faith. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. I'm the door of the sheep. If you hear his voice and enter in, you must enter in through Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? Say, madam, what that means is that he lived, he died, and he rose again. And if you're going to rise again, forgiven, having repented to him, it's only through Christ. I am the good shepherd. He leads me, he leads you by the Holy Spirit and his word as a good, good father, as we so often sing. And even saying, I am the true vine, because we are the branches. And branches, church, you should say amen, John 15. We are the vine. We abide in him as the branches in Christ, the true vine. And so when someone says, well, what does that mean? Is there any other way to God? Well, I would tell that person, Acts 4 and 12. Salvation's found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. And why I am saying all this is because what Paul is saying, what I am saying, what we need to be saying is that it's only in the name of Jesus that we're adopted in. The gospel is the power under salvation. Galatian church, you don't need to go back. Well, what about Abraham? Well, Abraham didn't have the law. Moses came after Abraham. In fact, if you want to talk about Abraham, Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith, the Christian faith, the Bible tells us about Abraham that he simply trusted God. He believed God. Genesis 15, 6, one of my favorite verses says, Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham just believed. God forgave, saved. He's with the Lord. Even Enoch in the start of the Old Testament, there was no law. Abraham wasn't alive yet. Enoch just trusted God. And the Bible says that God took him. Why I'm saying this is because it's not about a law. It's not about being good enough to be adopted. It's only through faith. That's why Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the word. And finish, finish it for me, church. And by hearing the word of God, that's it. Faith comes as you hear about Christ and his message, his goodness, his assignment to adopt you into the kingdom. That's where we come to faith. The very famous verse out of Ephesians 2, how do we come to faith? It says in 2.8, Brian Church, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not for yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works that no one can boast. How are you adopted in? Simply by hearing and believing and someone should say, Amen. What Paul's saying is if you're returning to anything other than this free gift, it's not the gospel. Which is why he says to them in verse 9, Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? And it's worth noting here that the same way they were going to be enslaved to the law, the world wants to re-enslave us back to its system. We go through these seasons, we can think about the good things we did and experience maybe before Christ. I don't tend to do, to do this because I'm focused trying to be as much as I can on what the Lord's doing and life's just crazy anyway. Who has the time? But from time to time, you might think, remember the good old days when I did this and I did that and I had this experience and I did this and did that. And what you often will leave out is things like, remember the deception I was under? Remember the hangover I had. Remember the addiction. Remember the death. Do you wish to be enslaved again? That's what Paul is saying. When I first came to faith, one of the most powerful verses I'd heard at the time was 2 Peter 2.19. And it says, man is a slave to whatever masters him. What masters you? What can the enemy be holding over your head saying, this is all it takes for me to master you? You can be in Christ, but being succumb to the things of this world. And we need only look around. Prevalent masters today are things like alcohol, like drugs, like lust, like money, like power. How many have sold their souls, in a sense, on the altar of wealth? And that makes me think about my children. Most of you know Dakota. I'm guessing we've got some listeners from India. How are you doing over there? God bless you. Some viewers from England. Hey, mate, hope you're doing good. But here's the reality. I think about my three kids. My son about to marry a beautiful bride and 
next year sometime. You guys all know it. Cameron, how you doing? But even for my son with his good intentions, even for my daughter or my youngest, they are going to be tempted away with things of this world, things that want to be enslaved to, or ways to get closer to God other than the gospel. Whatever position we're in, we're easy to be able to slip into this. This is what the Judaizers were doing in the church in Galatia. And Paul says this in verse 10. This is powerful. He says, what you're doing is you're observing special days, months, and seasons of the year. What you're doing is you're worshiping the system. You're building a system around system. You're worshiping religion. And you only look at the early birth of the, the Catholic church. Even today, we have sacred vestments. Sabbath-keeping days, holy water, holy places, candles, statues, all honored religiously as if people are different than us. But if you're in Christ, you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. Amen? And I say that because what we want to do is we want to build things and worship them. I love this week when Pastor Andrew was talking about the state of the church and the question was asked about a building. You know, for one, having a building is very, very expensive in Huntington Beach, millions and millions of dollars. And I love that the response was, man, we've never focused on it because for one, the money wasn't coming in. But once you give birth to that vision of that building, it can become about the building and the upkeep. And now millions of dollars going into that and not going out for the things of God. It's not wrong to have a building. But the point is, if this epidemic had hit while this was going on, we could have lost a building and I looked at the end of that thought, what Andrew said was, but you know what? If God leads us to have a building, then so be it. I love that we're a church that we don't need to be somewhere and show the world what we've got. What we need to be able to do is simply say, Christ, we have you. We've been adopted in. And this was enough. You see, Christ is all. And the danger there was they were looking to the law to save. And here's the thing. The Bible never said the law could save. All the law could do was atone. Once a year, it could take away your sin. But next year, it was time again for you to offer more of a sacrifice of what's best. In verse 11, Paul begins to get personal. I love this. It's like writing a letter to your child. He says, I fear for you, Galatians. Somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Meaning I came to you, I shared, you responded. But look at where you are. And he wrote this way to the church in Rome, to the Colossians. Even the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, but listen to how direct this is to this message today. It says Hebrews 10.1, the law church is only a shadow, a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, the law can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. The author is saying, guys, the law is only a shadow. And how do we understand that? Well, if I take Jude skating today, you know what? I don't want to watch his shadow. I don't want to speak to his shadow. I want to be able to speak to him, see his face, see his reaction, see the person of Jude. If I go surfing, I don't want to grab a hold of a shadow. It doesn't work. I need the real thing. Likewise, even here in Long Beach where we are today, those shadows of bikes and things down there on 2nd Street, they're just shadows. What he's literally saying is the whole of the Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come. How are you looking back to the law? What you should be looking to is your son, is that bike, is that surfboard, is Jesus Christ. Can it be any clearer? And I love that he says this verse 12. And this sounds arrogant, sounds prideful. Paul says, I plead with you, my brothers and my sisters, become like me, for I became like you. And when someone tells you to become like them, it doesn't sound too good. What do you mean? Paul's not being prideful, but here's the thing. He did live a life of pride. Prior to this, he was the most prideful. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He went about pushing the law on people, taking care of his fellow man in a wicked way, in a hateful way. Ten years prior to this, at least, he was there when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was killed and slain with rocks. I mean, Paul was pushing this. He was religious. He's the kind of person that literally was the epitome of the law. And he says, church, become like me. Because I became like you. I came to you with knowledge and wisdom and an understanding of the law that I misunderstood. And I counted everything about my prior life. Everything that was BC. And he literally says this as rubbish or trash. The law isn't bad. It points us to who we are and God. But ultimately Paul is saying, I became like you. And how were they? 
They had simply trusted. They had simply believed. They had simply put their faith in God. But now things were changing. And I love what he says. It gets really personal. Guys, I'm going to tell you about my life. Remember when I was there? Remember when I shared? He says in verse 12, you did me no wrong. I mean, you didn't inflict any harm. And as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Guys, I was on my way somewhere else, but because of a sickness or an illness, I couldn't go. And so instead, I stopped and spoke to you, and you did me no harm. And he says in verse 14, even though my illness was a trial to you, what was this illness? You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Paul is on his way to preach in Long Beach, and he can't get that far. He ends up stopping in Huntington Beach. Why? Because of an illness. Theologians, historians would say they believe that Paul had malaria. The while he was going through Pamphylia in the area of Asia Minor, he got malaria. And what does malaria do? It messes with your eyes. You can't see sometimes for days at a time. You begin to weep. Your eyesight is burdened. Is this possibly the thorn in his flesh? It does go on to say in this verse in Galatians 6.11 that he writes to them with large letters. Why? Because his eyesight was probably bad. But here's the point. Paul is there because he's got a strain in his eyes. He's preaching to them and they receive him. What this should do for us, if you're saying, here's little old me, how can I be used for the kingdom? I mean, God used Paul. We lift this man up so high, but he was going one place. And he ended up through a sickness, through an illness, malaria probably, showing up on their doorstep. They would say he's probably five foot four. They would say he couldn't really speak very well. Were his teeth cracked and worn and yellow? Did he smell funny from travel? I mean, he's got issues with his eyes, but he showed up to them and they received him. Why? Not because he was Paul, but because of what? The message he was preaching. It wasn't because of his appearance or his presentation. They listened. It was because of the power of God. And when Paul went and preached, he says this in verse 14. He says, instead, though, when I came to you with eyes like this in total decay, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. The word angel just means messenger. When I came to you and I never intended to, and my eyes were weeping, and who knows what state I was in, you did me no harm, you received me. What he's saying is, you remember when you loved me, and you took care of me, and you heard the gospel, and you were born again, you were birthed into the kingdom. He says in verse 15, stepping on our toes, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. This is the reference that makes theologians say it must have been his eyesight because literally they heard the gospel and said, man, look at this man. If we could only tear our eyes out and give them to him, we would. And I'm guessing someone said that in a statement of love. But then he goes on and what does he say? Now they're angry with him. Now they're mad at him. They've taken the side of the Judaizers. They've been called back into the law. For you and I have been called back into the world and we're mad that Pastor so-and-so is reaching out to us. We're mad that someone's calling us on the rug because of our sin. And he says in verse 16, have I now become your enemy because I told you the truth? I love that Paul says this. He wasn't their enemy because he was Paul or because now his eyesight's even worse. He was their enemy because of what? Truth. He became their enemy because of truth. Think about that. Where do we see that throughout the text? I mean, Israel killed the prophets. We don't want to hear someone telling us the things of God when our hearts are deceitfully wicked. But yet the Bible tells us, Jesus said, you will be hated on account of me and my name. But if the world hates you, church, remember, it hated me first. If you want to be hated, which you should never want to, but if you're going to be, you're probably going to find out there's some hate in the world if you begin to preach the Bible. If you begin to preach what is true in an arrogant, prideful way, but if you begin to share the truth, you can offend people. You can even offend people in church when there's a religiousness there. Don't mess with my theology. Don't mess with my ideas. Don't mess with how the gospel goes forth. I've got my own agenda. But wasn't it Satan who said, did God really say? Wasn't it Satan that said, you can have the word of God, but I just want to twist it just enough. It's crazy. I was sent an image the other day of... Uh, protest or some kind of riot that was going on in the midst of this protest this person had said there's been this man in our community for 20 years who rides his bike through the town and he shouts to people I've got good news and the people know him so well they say what's the news and he shouts God loves you Jesus saves you you can be born again he basically just evangelizes people 
by riding his bike through the town or speaking to them. And as these protests got a bit out of hand, that gentleman was down there. A six foot four, black, beautiful gentleman standing there with a big sign in the midst of chaos, in the midst of culture today in the world. And all the sign said was, Jesus saves. And what happens is, the image shows him being hit with eggs, hit with feathers, hit with dirt, hit with silly string. God bless you for standing for truth. God bless you for standing and letting people know that God is still the God who adopts it in a world that is becoming more and more wicked. There is still a light and it's only going to shine brighter. Can someone say amen? That guy might have been out last night and tonight. Pray for that guy. But my point is, as he stands out in truth, they come against him. What is truth? The Bible says in John 3.17 that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him, through Jesus, the world might be saved. You see, if we're going to speak truth, if we're going to stand in truth, that's how people come to know the Lord. That's how people begin to know, to walk with God. I seen a thing the other day that said the next thing that's got to be done away with is Christian men. Why would Christian men have to be done away with? I mean, why would our elders or me or you or why Christian women cry Christian anyone? Well, because if you're really standing for truth and you're standing for God's word, shining a light in the darkness of this world, if you're standing for family, if you're standing for freedom of worship, if you're standing for family, the enemy doesn't like that. So as you begin to stand for truth, it could get crazy. But Jesus said, if you're hated, like this guy was hated, like Paul's being hated. And as he goes on, I love this. He says in verse 17, he begins to sigh with them and explain. He says, these Judaizers, these people, oh, they're zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from us so you may have zeal for them. They want to deceive and lead you astray. Go back to the law or church. Go back to the things of the world. Those friends who show up and say, remember that girl? She's in town. Remember that situation? We can go make this deal here. We can go get more satisfaction than being content in the things of God. Recently, a young man had told me, a good friend of mine, his wife and kids, how for years when he first got married, his friends couldn't understand why is your faith so strong? Why did you get married so young? Why did you have so many kids? And now... Almost a decade later, those same friends are coming around almost envious, looking like, man, you have it going on. Why? Because you did get married. You did walk with the Lord. You did trust. But the enemy still wants to come in and pull you back to that lifestyle. The enemy wants to pull you back in the idea of misery loves company to get you to go back and party, to go back and rage, to hinder that. Why? Because to distance you from what's best. The enemy can get into the church in Galatia. He'll try and work some wolves amidst your midst. Those phone calls from the past, that gale, but now you're married. Those situations. I don't know what the bait is for you. I don't know what the bait is for your walk. I don't know what you could be going through. I know this season has allowed a lot of people to just coast because they're not face-to-face. They've shut down to grabbing a hold of anything, which is crazy. But be aware, church. The Bible tells us we have an adversary, a roaring lion, seeking to devour whom he may. And he's not sitting on a couch relaxing. Might be watching the sermon, but his goal is to tear us down, tear us apart. That's how the enemy works. And so look at what Paul does. He says in verse 19, he gets personal now. He's basically telling them, who has beguiled you as he wrote elsewhere? But he's telling them, you're beginning to follow these other ways. Don't you remember when I came to you and I was all over the place yet you loved me? And you were willing to pluck your eyes out for me? And he goes on here and here's what he says. He says in verse 19, my dear children... For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul is calling them his children the first time he uses this. Why? Because when he showed up, as we've said, he proclaimed the truth. There are spiritual children. And as the spiritual father, he is perplexed now. His birth pains are coming. And he's saying, man, how do I get these guys back on the right track? My kids are diving into the pool and they can't swim. They're running in the road and the car's coming. They're getting a hold of something that's poisonous. Man, dear children, the pains of childbirth are here. Why? Until Christ is formed in you. Love that he says, I wish I could be with you. Because they could have heard his tone. They could have heard this passionate rebuke, which is biblical. It's good to be rebuked sometimes. Revelation 3.19 says, as many as I love, I also rebuke. I'll rebuke my children at a time. Why are you doing that? This isn't smart to do. This isn't going to benefit anyone. 
And Paul says, I wish I could be there so it wasn't just so serious. And I'm saying, I can't believe you were doing this. You are distracted by the law. You were distracted, church, by the things of this world. No, it's simply in Christ. And he says, I wish I could be there. Why? Because he's a loving parent. There's things he wants to sit down and say to them. And, and here's the reality. Why would they go back? Why have they heard such a great orator as far as not in the way he says things but what he says is the word of God why would they go back and you know this you sit with anyone for an amount of time even yourself we have systems we have cycles if you were raised around alcohol in England it was prevalent so I never want anything to do with it my friends who started drinking young that's just what they did and they were caught up in alcohol alcoholics danger people that were brought up in abusive abusive homes there it is are caught up in lustful things, I won't say because of the children that might be listening with us. God bless you guys. But those same cycles, so every few months, we fall back into it. We chase someone else, things happen. Why would we go back to those things? Because they're normal, they're familiar, they're comfortable. We've been through the cycle and like the law, it worked. Stepping out in faith was difficult for them. They tried to attach things to it. And we need not look far to understand this. I mean, think about Israel. Israel is one of the best examples of being a bad example. One of the best examples of doing things wrong. I mean, Israel is 400 years in slavery, under Egyptian bondage, under Pharaoh, and they cry out to God, and guess what God does? He hears them. He listens to them. They have no Sabbath. They're making bricks without straw. They're getting beaten and bruised and there's bloodshed and there's tears and life is crazy. And they cry out to God and the Bible says, God heard their prayer and he sent a deliverer. He stopped Moses in his tracks decades after he thought his call was done. After he thought he blew it all. And God called Moses and said, go to my people, go to Pharaoh, take Aaron. And Moses went. And what did God say? He parted the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds. He brought Israel through and he sent them on their merry way to the promised land. And what did Israel do? As they're on their merry way and things are good and there's evidence they're being adopted in. Exodus 16.2 says this. In the desert, after they've been delivered, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Wow. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you, Moses, you, Aaron, that's what he's saying. You have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, pretty harsh. And just for a factual update, Moses didn't plan on doing this. Israel cried out. God heard their cry, showed up in Moses, who was shepherding and later in life, wearing on his 401k. And God shows up and says, Moses, i got a plan for you. Okay, God, I'm going to go. This is crazy. I can't speak. Bring Aaron. And now Israel's saying, what did you do? Moses did nothing but honored God. Why would they grumble like this? Because they're thinking about the food. They're thinking about the normality. They're thinking about the things that are common and comfortable to them. But what they're forgetting about is the beatings and the lashings, and the sweat, and the blood, and the tears, and the slavery, and the bondage. And if sin is even approaching us and seeking us out, you better be aware of what comes from it. The wages of sin is still death to the Christian as we live those things out. Pay attention, be aware, as I said, our adversary parades around like a roaring lion. They were looking on what was normal, on the greener grass, what felt better. See, they bought the lie. And the Galatians right now are about to buy the lie. And guys, this isn't a new tactic. This is what Satan did in the garden. Did God really say and deceived Eve? Here's the Judaizers trying to deceive them. I mean, Satan was so bold and stupid. He even tried to deceive who? Jesus. He showed up to Jesus, the Messiah in the wilderness and said, you look hungry. You need water. Aren't you this supposed son of God? And he had a tactic. And what did he do? He offered Jesus to use his divinity to get food and safety and glory. But praise God, Jesus knew better. Someone type amen in there. You see, Israel was about to go back to Egypt, but there was conditions you're enslaved and bound. Jesus could have trusted in Satan and why he would. Thank you, Lord, you never did. But there were conditions and you were bound. For the Galatians... There's no conditions. For you and me on the couch today, how are you doing? There are no conditions. There's nothing Brian has to do for God to adopt me. There's nothing you can do. 
It wasn't your goodness that saved you. It wasn't because you're the greatest person ever that it delivered you. It's because God looked at you. And as I said in the start, Galatians 4, 4, God spoke Jesus into our, Jesus arrived and showed up. And here he is born of a virgin in this time. And the only condition is that we call on him, that our faith is in him. It's not in the law. It's not in the world. We don't want to be distracted by the things that are here. And what this should mean to us is, as much as it's only about Jesus, I want you to see the grace and mercy of God in this verse. Israel was out in the wilderness, and God still manifested his presence through to them in love to get them eventually, many of them, to the promised land. The Galatians are all over the place, and what does God do? Leave them? No. He sends Paul to write this letter. You could be all over the place. Your life could be upside down. Some of the things I said today about anxiety and fear and control could be the gods in your life. And God is using this verse and my voice and branches to tell you who the son is set free is free indeed. What this means for you and I is that it's only about Jesus. For me, for my wife, for Dakota, Eden, Judah, if you're watching guys, it's only about Jesus. It's only ever about Jesus, and he is more than enough for you and I, born in wretched sin. Our righteousness was filthy rags, as the Bible tells us, one of the older prophets, Isaiah. But because of Christ, there's no condition. The papers, the documents are signed. He went to the cross. He rose again. He paid it in blood. It is finished, and we now have access in the middle of this season What an opportunity to be alive. I get to preach to you, preach to myself. We get to go live today, despite how our back feels, despite how our life feels, despite how our bank account looks, despite ourselves. We are adopted in because of God, because of Abba, Father. And Jesus chose to use that term, Abba, and that's how close you are to him. You haven't got to do anything. You can sit on his lap and pour your heart out to God and there he is. You could be caught up in crazy sin and said, man, hopefully this message spoke to you. And you say, I need to let go of some things today. You could be a non-believer and say, wait a minute, what are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that we're all born in sin. We're all going to die because of sin. We're guilty. But Jesus, the perfect sacrifice came and paid the price the law never could rose again to prove that when we're resurrected one day, when we go to be with the Lord, we can be counted innocent because God made the payment for us. We're no longer guilty. We're born into his family. And I thought about ending this having said so much, and I'm glad it motivated me to preach this way. How would you end this? Do we get distracted and sit and confess sin? Yeah, you can do that with the Lord. Do you want to take all of our baggage and lay it aside because it's going on shore? You can do that. But as we close out this session, as I invite the band up right now, all that Paul wanted to do was focus on Jesus. The very reason that Moses was sent to Pharaoh was to say, let my people go that they may worship me. It's about worship. We're adopted into fellowship with him. That's worship. Whether you can sing or not, whatever you're doing, it's all unto the Lord. So how shall we finish today? We should know that all things are made by him, for him, through him. We don't need the law anymore. We don't want to fall back into the ways of this world. You're going to wrestle. You're going to struggle. I'm a saint, but I definitely have my moments when the enemy comes or my flesh is weak. And we're all in this together. We're the church. We need to bring those things out into the light because God is good and faithful. But as we close today, all I want to do is I want to pray a few things about Jesus Let the Lord just speak and remind us of who he is and what he's done that we're adopted in. We'll pray for a moment then take a minute yourself at home. Close your eyes, sit and say, wow, Lord, you looked at me in this day and age when I was born with every sin, with every struggle. And you said, that's the one I want. That's the one I'm taking home. That's the one I want to save and I'm leaving to go and prepare a place for him and her, despite our craziness. Guys, let's pray. Then we'll take a moment to breathe and then the band will lead us and we'll sing. Lift them up. God, we just thank you this day that God, even people sitting on the couch at home, people driving, people who are on the top of the mountain saying God is good and those who are in the valley saying, Lord, where are you? That God, we would stand in your truth as Paul preached. Stand in your truth as that gentleman was sharing with all those protesters, God, that you save, that you redeem, that you forgive. 
and even talking today with leaders who are about to have children the next few months what a privilege and a blessing it is one of the greatest gifts but lord you chose to go the extra mile for us so that we could become your children and god that wherever we are it's all going to be over one day life is a vapor but lord we wouldn't miss this moment this is the divine moment to say jesus we trust in you we trust in you alone God, lead me, lead my children, lead this church. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. Convict where there's sin. We take sin today. We lay it aside. We give it to you. We put it at the foot of the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Make us whole. Make us new. God, for those who might need to say, I need help. I want to confess. Well, then look to the Lord God. Put your faith in Jesus. Say, I'm turning from my sins. I'm following you. I believe in the Lord Jesus that he's rose again. And ask that God do a work in you. For those who are simply distracted, saying, man, there's so many things that have gotten the best of me. There's so many things that have been idols. Well, good, church. It's good that you see it. The goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance. God isn't mad at you. He isn't cross with you, swiping the back of your head. No, he's revealing these things. We can say, guys, I've got this, but I've put you here on a mission to worship, to love, to reach out, to be that gentleman in the midst of the, the chaos of this world to point to me. Because guys, plenty of my children are still out there lost. And who is God going to use for us to be able to reach them? Us. Lord, we thank you for this time that we would just sit for a few moments. We consider you. You would speak to our hearts, bring verses to mind. And Lord, we want to take this time and worship you and praise you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's worship, church. guys hope that was an encouraging message i love that our church right now is thriving going through these books of the bible i connected with a few pastors this past week who've said the same people are showing up to church showing up to our live feeds and they just want the word they want to hear many are jumping into revelation maybe we'll get into that the next few weeks or months depending on what's going on and just to see what unfolds but i want to thank you again for tuning in i know our time is valuable Thank you for those who choose to partner with me personally, as I've said so often, and the elders at our church or my friends say, you have to let people know I don't get paid for anything. Everything is fully salary supported and raised as many people challenged me to do a few years ago. So if you want to partner with uh, this podcast, a lot of the speaking and preaching and traveling I do, even right now around the US, and you can do that at briansumner.net slash support. God bless you guys. And remember, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Amen.